Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and for meaning. We're very glad you're here. I extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us this morning. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. The call to worship is by Anne Lamott from Help, Thanks, Wow, the Three Essential Prayers. Gorgeous, amazing things come into our lives when we are paying attention. Mangoes, grandnieces, Bach, ponds. This happens more often when we have as little expectation as possible. If you say, well, that's pretty much what I thought I'd see, you are in trouble. At that point, you have to ask yourself, why are you even here? Astonishing material and revelation appear in our lives all the time. Let it be. Unto us so much is given. We have just to be open for business. We have so many different roots and practices in this room. Roots and practices from all the major world religions and from neo-paganism and from staunch atheism. We are a varied crew. What holds us together? One of the things in this congregation is our mission. And we wrote it together and we wrote it on the wall and we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. The meditation reading is by Annie Dillard. The mockingbird took a single step into the air and dropped. His wings were still folded against his sides as though he were singing from a limb and not falling, accelerating 32 feet per second through empty air. Just a breath before he would have been dashed to the ground, he unfurled his wings with exact, deliberate care, revealing the broad bars of white, spread his elegant, white-banded tail, and so floated onto the grass. I had just rounded a corner when his insouciant step caught my eye. There was no one else in sight. The fact of his free fall was like the old philosophical conundrum about the tree that falls in the forest. The answer must be, I think, that beauty and grace are performed, whether or not we will or sense them. The least we can do is try to be there. We've come to the time in our service when we enter into the wise silence, to use the words of Emerson. It is in the wise silence that we learn how to be there. Our brains are so crowded 
I would like to ask that you take your three beads in your hand while we have our centering time and take three deep breaths for each bead as we move into the silence together. So when you came in, you were given three beads because I'm going to talk about prayer beads this morning. The reason for beads is that people want to pray. We want to meditate. We want to take deep breaths for our mental health and our blood pressure, but we don't. We want to remember to say kind things to the people we live with, and we want to say the loving-kindness meditation during the week, but we don't. Beads are there as a tangible reminder. They're something to hold in your hand to help you keep track. They're something to rattle around in your pocket to jog your memory to catch your attention, to ground your senses and your focus with their texture in your hand. From time immemorial, beads have been used for prayer. We don't even know when it started. Because you'll see a a fossil of a bead necklace and you think, was that used for decoration or was it used for prayer or both? There were beads that looked like prayer beads from Egypt as early as 3200 BCE. These days, almost two-thirds of the people on the whole planet, two-thirds of the people use beads to pray. We don't know, but we think that ancient peoples did Uh, something like the early church mystics did in the Christian tradition and had pebbles in their pockets maybe and just um, loaded up with pebbles at the beginning of the day, three or four of them, and then as they said their prayers, drop the pebble on the ground and keep track that way. In India, sandstone carvings dating from 185 BCE show people holding prayer beads. The people in India today use prayer beads. It's called a japa mala. Japa means um, the name of God, saying the name of God over and over again. And mala means uh, garland or rose in Sanskrit. So you have a garland for saying the names of God. You've seen as you travel people in the Middle East, people in India, people in Greece using beads to pray. In Turkey, the old men will sit at the cafe and drink strong coffee and they just work the beads almost unconsciously. Buddhists inherited the mala from Hindus because Buddhism is a more recent offshoot from Hinduism. So the same mala is used. The Buddhists um, use uh, the same 108 beads in the traditional 
necklace or garland that the Hindus do. Um, you can sometimes have uh, malas that are uh, numbers that divide into 108. So you go through twice or you go through three times and you make 108. And why 108? Because that's the number of worldly desires that you have to pray to conquer before you reach enlightenment. In Tibet, they used to have malas inlaid with bones of the saints so that you could be inspired to raise yourself to the level that the saints prayed in so that you could one day reach where they had reached. Today's bone malas are not made of the bones of saints. They're made of the bones of yaks. And I'm sure the yaks can remind us to be useful. In the Christian tradition, and I find it interesting, fascinating, that the word mala means rose, because in the Christian tradition, what are the beads called? A rosary, right. And um, so it makes you wonder. Somebody told me the other day that they thought the ancient cultures were all isolated and they developed in isolation, and I'm thinking, I believe in sailors. I think the sailors were out there meeting each other. So Roman Catholics and Anglicans use rosary prayer beads, and the name comes from the Latin rosarium, meaning rose garden. And the beads were also sometimes made of crushed and cooked rose petals. So you crush, cook rose petals, make them into beads. Also, Mary, the mother of God, was her symbol was the rose. So it works on many, many levels. I do not know how to pray a rosary because I grew up Presbyterian. The Desert Fathers, the 3rd to the 5th century, went from using stones to using a string or a strip of leather, and they would tie knots in the strip of leather. And so you just go by the knots in your strip of leather Maybe that was easier to take, keep track of in the desert. Some of those desert fathers, uh, they lived on pillars. So they would build a pillar and the guy would climb up there and just sit there for 20 years and um, get his meals uh, given to him by the disciples in a pulley kind of system. So, you know, if you had beads and you dropped one, that would be... I guess it would come up with your next meal. <laughs> and usually they use the, the strings or the leather to keep track of a repetitive prayer. The desert saints liked the Jesus prayer. And the Jesus prayer goes, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you say that over and over and over for hours a day. In Islam... Prayer beads are referred to as misbaha, and they have 99 beads corresponding to the 99 names of Allah. For Native Americans, beads have always had a central spiritual significance. You find neck medallions that served as talismans, and certain ornamentation and other beads were used in and are used in healing ceremonies. In Africa, the Yoruba 
believe that using beads enhances the power of ritual objects. And the Maasai tribe finds beads so central to their way of life that they have over 40 different words for different kinds of beadwork. So where you use and how do we pray? Well, we pray from not at all, through all types of meditation, through the more traditional asking God for help. And people think and talk about prayer in lots of different ways. I know you've heard them talk about it. For many people of every faith, prayer is begging God to do something for you. You beseech, you beg, you plead. And some people teach that God is a good parent who knows what you need but waits to be asked because it's obnoxious to help without being asked to help. That's a whole nother sermon. So God, the good parent, waits for you to ask. And some people talk about prayer as if God were an arrogant king who sits up there in heaven and goes, I could help you, but you haven't asked yet, or you haven't asked correctly. So, la, 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 I'm just waiting for you to do it right. Or you have a drop of doubt, so I can't hear you. I think for Unitarian Universalists, or for me, I'll just say, prayer is a way of putting focus on something. Or just holding something in your hand or your heart or your mind. Holding something. And I think there's something important about paying attention. And that that's a big part of praying. Being open for business, as Annie Dillard says. You've got to be open, or maybe that was Anne Lamott. I, I get those two mixed up. But we heard from both of them in the service already. Being open for business is important. Being there is important. Paying attention. One of my spiritual teachers who's an Aikido master named um, Wendy Palmer says, you get what you pay for when you pay attention. So you put your attention on something, and you're developing a relationship with that thing. And Lamott says, there are only three prayers that you really need. Thanks. Wow. And help. Now, we all know how to say thanks. And we practice gratitude. That's one of our spiritual practices. Even if we're not completely certain to whom we're directing our gratitude, you can just be grateful in a global way. And it's good for you. We know how to say wow because we talk about awe as a spiritual experience. When you stand at the rim of the Grand Canyon, or when you see a mockingbird step off of a branch, or when you see some of the kids as they learn in their classes, or when you hear in the new member class that I did last week, that I was present for last week, the people around the table talking about how they came to this church and where they've been before and listening to one another's lives. It's so sweet and beautiful. That's a wow moment for me. Help 
is a little more complicated for me. And I think sometimes maybe I'm not in a position to ask for help since I don't have traditional beliefs anymore about a traditional God. So who am I asking for help from? And sometimes I remind myself that I believe in a river of love that runs through the world that we help create. And that maybe I can ask for help from love. And I find that that feels right to me. I ask for help from love. And does it come from outside of me? Or does it come from inside? Or does it come from other people? Or does the help come from the animals, the trees, the rocks, the stars? From the spirits of people who have died? From maybe particles smaller than a boson that react to human desperation? We haven't discovered those yet, by the way. Just making that up. Just in case you wondered. Or is it just good for me to acknowledge that I need help? That I'm just a human type person and I can't do everything, even though I would like to be able to. And none of that really matters. You say help and help comes from somewhere and that's a good thing. Unless it doesn't. And because of the kind of preacher I am, I have to say that. You choose your beliefs. And then you cry out for help. And then it doesn't come. You have to tell yourself stories about why. Choosing your beliefs is fraught with joy and heartbreak. So choose carefully. Maybe prayer, like ritual, is a way of changing your consciousness at will. Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with asking for things. Maybe it's just changing consciousness. Because, you know, the medieval monks and the desert saints and people from all different faiths have said, after, after repeating the same prayer several hours for every day, you enter into an altered state. Uh, one of the monks called it a joyful boiling. In the early 1970s, long, long, long ago, just in case you weren't aware, 70s were long ago, Dr. Herbert Benson, president and founder of the Mind Body Medical Institute at Harvard Medical School, documented a phenomenon he called the relaxation response. And he experimented using Sanskrit mantras, and he told his subjects to sit and repeat the mantra, either silently or aloud, for 10 to 20 minutes to breathe regularly and to let all thoughts pass by, inviting the mind to be blank. He found that those who repeated the Sanskrit mantras for as little as 10 minutes a day experienced physiological changes. Reduced heart rate, lower stress levels, and slower metabolism. Repeating the mantras also lowered blood pressure and generally decreased the oxygen consumption of, a, of your body, in, indicating that it was in a restful state. They also tested other prayers, the Jesus prayer, and then they just broke out and started testing words, ocean, peace, shalom, and they found out Anything works. You find a word you like. You find a phrase you like. 
you find a phrase in a poem or the words to a song, and you repeat the three or four words in the phrase over and over again for 20 minutes, and the same relaxation response happened. And more recently, like a couple years ago, researchers at University of Massachusetts, John Kabat-Zinn among them, uh, an expert on mindfulness meditation, they have started finding out that mindfulness meditation actually creates new brain matter. So people with Parkinson's are starting to be treated with uh, mindfulness meditation because your brain can actually build itself some more. They're not sure where this is going to lead or what all it means. But what it means is that repetitive prayer, for which you might use beads, has physiological benefits and can even produce more brain matter. So if your brain is fine and you produce more brain matter, just think. Or you will be thinking. So we can use our three prayer beads in any number of ways. I'm going to suggest a couple. I don't know how many of you remember the Buddhist loving kindness prayer we used to say every single Sunday for about two years. It goes, may I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. And you pray it for yourself, and then you pray it for someone you love, and then you stretch and pray it for someone with whom you are having difficulty. So let's practice that right now. Take one bead in your hand, and we're going to pray this prayer for ourselves, just if you want to. I'll say the word, and you repeat it after me. May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. Now take your second bead in your hand, and you're going to say it for someone you love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. And now the final bead is for the spiritual stretch. You pray it for someone against whom you have a resentment. The good news is you don't have to mean it. It works anyway. (laughs) May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. So you can use it that way. If you don't remember the prayer, you can just Google loving-kindness prayer. You can use it for deep breathing, which is very helpful. Um although it does take some time, but it's good for your body. I have a friend who wrote Breathe Deeply on his to-do list, and he came into work the next day, and he goes, Meg, I don't think I'm doing this right because I almost put my eye out with my pen lunging to cross off deep breathing from my list once I did it. 
One of my suggestions, though, is that you think about our mission and your beads. I think it might be very fruitful to take your first bead and say, this is for nourishing souls. How has my soul been nourished today? What kind of nourishment does my soul need today? How could I nourish someone else's soul today? And the second bead could be for transformation. What in my life needs transforming today? What has been transformed today? How could I contribute to the transformation of someone's life today? And the third bead is for justice. Can I do justice today? Have I done justice today? What justice needs doing today? How can I support people who are doing it? Because none of us can be activists every single day. Sometimes our job is to support those who are on the front lines of activism. Can I write a thank you note? Can I write a check? How can I support those who are on the front lines of activism today? So this is something to practice. The loving-kindness meditation, a meditation on our mission. I invite you to try it. See what happens. Will you please say the words by which we extinguish our chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Lone wild bird in lofty flight Is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight And I am thine, I rest in thee Great Spirit, come and rest in me Go in peace This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.